Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. All right, so let's dive into this today. In preparing for this message, I was thinking about a subject that I've actually talked on a few years ago that I'd like to revisit this morning in a little different light. So in light of the last several messages that Pastor Quentin has preached, I believe we can take a collective look today and let God speak to us something new or something renewed to our hearts as we look at the subject of reasons. All right, so if you take a look outside, it would seem apparently that at least, at the very least, the end of spring or summer is upon us. Amen? Are you excited about that? You sound like you need to, you know, maybe wake up a little bit from the winter. Are you excited that we are coming out of winter? Amen? All right. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Good. The, you know, the temperature outside will be good for a nap, but right now let's just focus for a little while. So we'll stay awake and then you guys can go, you know, rest in that today. But summer brings so many wonderful things, right? Here in Maine, it lasts, you know, for it's here and it feels like it's gone. But, you know, when it comes, it brings so many wonderful opportunities, you know, more opportunities to hike, more opportunities to get out, uh, just get out there, you know, get out on the water, fish, tube, ski. Maybe that's an opportunity some of us need to pass on. But anyway, then there's new life, right? There's new life that spring and summer seasons bring to the area. We see new buds on the plants. We see leaves on the trees. We see life in bloom, right? And what also comes with the new life is new grass in our yards. Amen. Now, I will say this. It's only June 5th, but by a show of hands, how many of you guys have already cut your grass at least four times? How many more than four? All right, got a few of you. Okay, all right. If you're feeling the burn from that, let me just encourage you guys. Let's count our blessings. You know, where Sarah and I are from, PQ's in Alabama, but where we're from in Louisiana, they were already starting to cut their grass this year when some of us were just breaking out our first bags of salt. So, you know, they don't necessarily believe in winter down there. But anyway, 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 one of the staples of standard lawn care is the weed whacker. Can I get an amen? All right, the weed eater, the trimmer, whatever you want to call it, okay, how many of you have one? Okay, how many of you over the years of using it have dreaded the time that you would spend with it, where you'd go out into the yard and you can't be further away from the supplies that you have for it or whatever, and inevitably the string is going to run out, right, okay, and then what you have to do is you have to walk it back, the walk of shame, whatever you want to call it, and then you have to employ that engineering degree that may or may not be up there as you try to disassemble the head, grab some string, cut it to a decent length, white, you know, tightly wind it inside there, and make sure that, you know, while your head's pointed north and you're standing on one leg with your seat back and tray table locked in the upright lock position, as you try to get that string in there back inside that head and reassemble it without the spool popping out and the string going everywhere, amen? Everybody know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking, I mean, look. The trimmer was an amazing innovation for lawn care, but I'm telling you right now, that original string design was definitely made by somebody who knew the possibilities of what could happen when you ask God for patience. Anyway, but I'm here to tell you, I'm here to bring some victory to that moment. Today, 
at Lowe's in aisle 28 or aisle 42 if you're a Home Depot person, there are replacement heads for many popular trimmer models that you can buy where you feed the string into one side, you pull it out on the other side, you take the bottom of the head and you just turn it and it cranks the string for you. It's a miracle. Come on. Look, Father's Day is two weeks away. Just saying, just saying is all. For the price of one date to McDonald's or one-third of a tank of gas. Too soon? Too soon? Okay, all right, yeah, too soon. It's okay, all right. You can have this, guys. You can have this in your life, okay? And you can save yourself the time and the hassle and the frustration that has plagued mankind with lawn care work for years because someone finally said, why? What is the reason I keep doing this year after year? They got smart, and they realized that it didn't have to be done the same way it was always done. Maybe let me offer another viewpoint into this from a different story. Some of you may have heard this parable before, this modern-day parable. It involves a young woman, a pan, and an oddly sliced cut of meat. So, we have a young woman walks up to her mother as she is preparing her famous family pot roast. And as she begins to prepare the meat and get the spices and get all the veg and everything, she's going to load it in the pan. One final act of preparation that her mother concludes this preparation time with she cuts off both ends of the pot roast, sticks it in the pan, and then sticks it in the oven. Mom, the young girl wonders, I love this meal. It's always been a great, you know, it tastes great. It's fantastic. I've always loved it. But there's also one thing that has always bothered me. Why do you cut the ends off of the pot roast before you stick it in the oven? And the young woman's mother responded with this sage culinary advice. You know, I don't know. I watched your grandmother make it for years, and when it came time for me to start making it, I just did it the way that I'd always seen her do it. Why don't you ask her? Okay, so undeterred by this unsatisfactory answer, the young woman made an appointment to go see her grandmother, goes to the house and says, Grandmother, so I have this question for you. Mom makes your, you know, makes your pot roast. It's, it's delicious. We love it. It's never let us down. We always enjoy it. But there's this preparation thing that she does right at the end where she cuts the ends off of the pot roast, and I'm wondering why. So when I asked her, her answer was that that was how she had always seen you do it. So can you tell me what is the sage wisdom behind this unique preparation technique? Does it make the the meat absorb more of the flavor, absorb more of the spices? Like, what is the secret behind this? I've got to know. To which the grandmother breaks out in laughter and begins to say, dear, (laughs) for years and years and years, we were very poor, and I had a very small stove and very small pans. The only reason I cut the ends off of those roasts was to make it fit. So let's have some pot roast revelations right now, okay? Let's, let's talk about this for a second. This young woman, when she was faced with something she didn't understand, she asked for a reason. And the reason that she was given at first didn't really carry much weight. So after further investigation, the original reason or the why for the cutting of the pot roast was revealed. Can you imagine the conversation that the young woman had when she went home and told her mom this incredible revelatory reason why for years and years and years 
so much pot roast had been wasted. The reasons that her mother cut the pot roast all of a sudden were no longer valid. So we can laugh, we can chuckle, we can roll our eyes, but the point here is that in our own lives, how many things, how many processes, how many et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank, have we done for years without much thought as to why we were doing them simply because it's just what we've always done? In our spiritual lives, here's the question, in our spiritual lives, have we ever let this very thing happen? I'm here today to say that it is totally possible, and I'll say it to myself first before I say it to anybody else. It is totally possible for us to do so. So let's look to the Word today and get some insight on this, all right? So a little over a month ago, we celebrated Easter. Pastor Quentin gave an amazing message entitled, The Difference. If you haven't given it a listen, please head over to the anchor.me where our podcast is. Go take a listen to it. It's awesome. But in this message, he spoke out of John chapter 5 about the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. So there what we saw was a man who had learned to deal with infirmity for 38 years. Okay? Really quick recap. There's a pool. The man was by it. There was all sorts of lame, infirmed, all people who were around it. And one time a year, they believed that the pool was stirred by an angel. It would have medicinal powers. And whoever gotten there could be healed of whatever infirmity that they were dealing with. So for 38 years, this man had not made his way to the pool when that time came. And what had happened? He had learned to live with it at this point. He just learned to live with it. Right? What were his reasons for doing so when Jesus appeared to him? Oh, well, there's no one to put me in the water. Oh, someone gets in my way. I can't do it. There's too much distance to the pool. So Jesus touched his life that day, and he didn't come to make up the difference between him and the pool. He came to the man because he was the difference. Amen? Amen. In light of Jesus' presence there, the man's reasons for why he could not be healed were no longer valid. And so the man made a change. He accepted the Savior's healing. He took up his bed. He walked. And for all we know, he lived the rest of his days following Jesus' words to go and sin no more. But to follow the immediate aftermath of that encounter and to go towards what we're talking about today, let's pick up this account in verse 9 of John chapter 5. Let's read this together. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules, but Jesus replied, my father is always working. So am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him because of this answer. They were trying to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So let's review what's going on here. Okay, we have a man 38 years infirmed. Can you imagine all the, I mean, they knew this guy. He was regular, right? Everybody around there. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's, you know, oh, yeah, man, good old guy. Yep, he's been here a long time. Good guy. Man, I feel bad for him. Right? They know 
this guy. They know his story. All of a sudden, Jesus walks in the place, heals the man miraculously. Can you imagine the, the buzz going on around the room? Dude, did you, we'll, call him, we'll call him John. Man, did you see John over there? Dude, he's walking. Did you, did, did you get him in the water? No, I didn't get him in the water. Did you get him? Dude, I don't know. He's walking. What? what? Oh, is that guy with him? Is that, oh, is that, what I th- is that what I think that is? Oh, my God, could you just imagine? Imagine what was going on in the aftermath. So you've got all of this, like, buzz going around the room, and at the same time, you've got the Pharisees investigating, wanting to know why this wrong had been done. Right? They want to know why has this incredible wrong been done in this place. See, in the last several weeks, we've also heard messages out of several of Jesus' parables. I encourage you guys to go check out those on the podcast as well. But on the message concerning the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was made mention that the Pharisees and the scribes, in this case, the religious leaders, the ones that were upset about this wrong, they took, over time, they took the original Ten Commandments and expanded them to 613 commandments. Now, one of those original ten was this, and we're going to read it together out of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath, seventh day, to keep it holy set apart, dedicated to God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day you shall do no work, you, your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the temporary resident, foreigner, who stays within your city gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them, and he rested, or he ceased, on the seventh day." That is why, reasons, that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That is set apart for his purposes. Okay? We have a day set apart. You have all these days to do this. This day is set apart for God and his purposes. This commandment, all right, this commandment is one that Jesus butted heads against the religious leaders with multiple times in the Gospels. We're going to cover some of them this morning. But it was a challenge from Jesus that I believe was intentional. There's not a single thing that Jesus has said then, now, or will say that is haphazard or just off the cuff. Everything that Jesus does has a reason, and that includes us. So what was the reason why God gave the fourth commandment? Let's first of all cover that about the Sabbath. So God set up the Sabbath to be a day to be set apart and dedicated to him. Right? The last part of verse 11 in Exodus 20 says that it was made holy and set apart, what do we say, for his purposes. Right. So in looking at the scripture, what was to be done for us? What was our part? We are to cease or rest from work or toil. Now, in the original language, the word work speaks to occupation, work or workmanship, business. Okay, you guys following that? Okay, business, occupation, that kind of thing. And the word rest means just that. It means to settle down, to rest. Interestingly enough, one of the other ideas presented in the original language there is the idea of drawing in a breath. You ever just been like exhausted? You just saw somebody like, look, I need to sit down for a second and catch my breath. You ever been there before? And what do you do? You sit down, you pause, you, you, you take a break, you put your hand in, you just slowly breathe in. You breathe in, you breathe out, and then you collect yourself. It's literally what God has done. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you just felt like, I just need to go take a breather? And then you sit down in the presence of God, literally doing that. Think about that, the very breath of God, just taking in a breath, drawing in a breath. 
ceasing, resting. That's why God set that day aside, to cease from occupational labor in order to spend a day focused on the things of him, to draw in a breath from him, to take a breather, as it were, in the things of him. Look, guys, God knows that we cannot go nonstop. Some of us may think we can, but the reality is we cannot. We weren't made that way. When it comes right down to it, we need rest and we need him. So that's the reasons why God set that. So why would Jesus intentionally perform miracles and do things on this day? I believe it was to expose the reasons and the motives of their hearts. So continuing back in that John 5 passage, let's um, head over to verse 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works in healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. And I've seen a guy get up after 38 years. I, I think I'd be astonishment enough. I mean, there's even more, right? Awesome. Verse 21, for just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he's given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Right here, anyone who does not honor the son is certainly not honoring the father who sent him. Let's jump down to verse 31, and we're going to follow it to the end of the chapter there. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message, but I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. I mean, guys, words being pretty pretty standard and pretty straightforward right here. You know, you, you read and you think about these things. Sometimes you can just read these passages and just, like, go over them. But, you, like, you know, like, why didn't the Pharisees get it? Why didn't the leaders get it? It's like Jesus is literally like, hello, hello, are we getting this? Like, I'm literally standing right here telling it to you, and you're not getting it. Verse 37. Let's keep going. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me. The one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Can you imagine that? They spent their whole life going over scriptures thinking that would give them eternal life. It's literally telling them who's standing right there in front of them. The scriptures point to me, verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval, you imagine this? I, man, just think about being a disciple. One of Jesus' disciples, one of the 12, standing around seeing this happen. This next verse, your approval means nothing to me. Imagine, I don't need your approval. I do not need your approval because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I've come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. 
Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it is an I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Or bow your heads. We're done. I'm kidding. I mean, seriously, though, I mean, just how more straightforward can it be? My father sent me here and gave me things to do, and I'm doing them. The things that you've read about, they literally speak to who I am, but you will not receive me. You're chewing me out because I'm doing something here, and you're not even recognizing what's going on. Look, the Pharisees and scribes' reasons for being leaders among the children of Israel should have been to point them to the Savior. It should have been to grow in their own knowledge of Him, to grow in their relationship with Him. Why? To know Him. Not just to know about Him, but to know Him. But they proved that their reasons why over the years had become about gaining glory and esteem from those they enforced religious rules over. Rules that, quite honestly, held a severely limited grasp of why they were set up in the first place. Let's look at this again in just a few other passages of Scripture where Jesus offered similar challenges to their reasons for why he should not be doing these things on the Sabbath. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Let's read some of these quickly. When Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand, the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him, right? Trying to entrap him, okay? And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. I wonder how Jesus would say these things. Sometimes I just hear it in my head, you know what I'm saying? It's like, of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good. Notice he didn't answer them by what they were trying to entrap him with. He answered them with the truth. Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Let's jump over to Luke 13. One Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. He saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up. Don't just read over that really quickly. Think about that. 18 years. 18 years. The, some of you have you know, children who have recently graduated from high school or are heading in that direction. From the day they were born until the day they graduate from high school, that's how long this woman was bent over and unable to stand. That's a long time. It's not 38 years, but at least he got to, like, lay down on a mat. This woman was literally folded in half for almost 20 years, okay? Think about that. For 18 years, she's been bent over and unable to stand up. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. Wouldn't you? But, but the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. 
There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. I know. Right? But the Lord replied, you hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out to water? Like these are the exact things that they were trying to enforce and hold others to, but they themselves would not do it. You literally would untie your ox to walk them to water. If you saw someone else doing it, call it work on the Sabbath, but I can't heal somebody that's been bent 20 years? The Lord replied, you hypocrites, right? Let's go to verse 16. This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Think about that. The very ones who were supposed to be the experts in religious law and religious ceremony, not just procedure and rule and all that. These were the leaders, man. These were the ones that were supposed to be pointing them to Jesus, and Scripture calls them his enemies. No wonder God had to raise up John the Baptist because they certainly weren't going to point them to Jesus. Now, here's one more. We're going to go over to Luke 14, okay? So all this time, Jesus has been doing this, and then they've been watching, and they've been pouncing on him, right? And he's got an answer, nailing him every single time. Jesus don't get phased. He don't play games, right? So this time, check this out. So this time, instead of waiting, he goes to them, all right? Luke 14, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. Went right into their camp. And the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, can you imagine? After all that time, can you imagine them asking him this question? Why? Because every time they tried to get him up until this point, he shut them up and shut them down. Now they have no answer because that is how God will silence your enemies if you allow him, okay? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. Why? Because they couldn't speak against the truth. So what we see here in these passages is this, guys. The Sabbath, a day that was set aside to receive rest and to be with the Lord, Jesus wasn't working against that. That's exactly what he was doing. While Jesus' reasons for doing what he did were rooted in love and compassion, the Pharisees only saw work being done. They saw a job. You know why? Because that's what it had become to them. Jesus was walking out the original reason for the establishing of the Sabbath. That's what he was doing. He wasn't tearing it down. He was literally fulfilling it. 
I am bringing rest to these people by doing the things that pleases my Father. Can you not see? Of course you can't. They were so wrapped up in the law and the rules, they had no understanding to comprehend that the very object of their supposed affection was standing right in front of them. Their reasons for following the Sabbath were clearly because this is the law we've always had and we've always done it this way. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purposes. The very reasons they exist, I came to fulfill them. Galatians 5.14 says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. In the light of the very law of love standing right there, it became apparent to everyone but them that their reasons were no longer valid. I can't imagine what the scriptures might have said if Jesus had followed up all these accounts with this question. Man, what is your reason for even doing this? Why are you even doing this? What's your reason? So where are we going with all of this, guys, as we're starting to bring this in for a landing? Today, okay, today, if you don't know this, I believe any of you do, but if there's someone in here that doesn't know this, let me encourage you. You have a God-given purpose in this life. You have a God-given reason for being here. If you don't know it, let me be the first to encourage you with that amazing truth. Not only do you have a purpose and a reason, it is a God-given purpose, and it is a God-given reason for being here. Now, the purposes and the plans that are driving your life right now, do you know the reasons behind them? The reasons why. Why you're doing the things you're doing. And are those reasons part of your God-given purpose? 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let me say something here. Your God-given purpose flows in your walk with Christ. It flows out of it. I know that sounds simple, but say it again. We're going to say it again. Your God-given purpose flows in your walk with Christ. King David said, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Anxiety. Offensive things, the possibility of these existing, this is coming from a man who was actively walking with God. Are we any different, church? No, we're not. The life that you have with Christ can't be, well, my parents always went to church, I'm good. Or, ah, there's always been some sort of religion in my family, I'm good. Or, you know, I prayed a prayer when I was younger. I went to church for a few years, you know, I did it for a while, it's good. Guys, those reasons hold about as much weight as I cut the pot roast ends because I saw your grandmother do it. But if you are walking with him, 
Let me encourage you in this. You can trust him to guide you. We can trust him to guide us. Even when it feels like we're directionless, if we are walking with him, we can trust him to guide us. You know, look, there may be times where you find yourself struggling in the purposes and the plans in your life. Maybe they seem routine or maybe they're feeling stagnant. You know, in those times, we have to look to him and see what our reasons are. You know, and look, sometimes it's, it's not that our circumstances have to change. It's something inside of us has to change. There may be times where you're feeling that and you go and like, man, what are the reasons behind what I'm doing this? And you know what? Those reasons are totally valid. Well, then God, why do I feel this way? I thought maybe something needed to change. No, you need to change. You've been walking this way. It's, it's time to course correct a little bit. Well, just course correct it. No. I want to change your heart so you can have joy in that again. And sometimes it may be, God, why am I feeling this? Well, because you haven't brought it to me in a while and it's time for a change. Going back to the passage in John 5, the Pharisees' view of Scripture had become so about rules and regulations and traditions to achieve eternal life that they didn't even recognize the Savior who gives eternal life staring them in the face. Their reasons why did not match the original intent. In verse 39, you know, the ultimate why of salvation, let me say this, the ultimate why of salvation, the ultimate reason for us having salvation and following the Lord is so that we can be in fellowship and spend eternity with him. That's the ultimate why, okay? However, the why of their searching, the Pharisees, their why, their reasons for searching the scriptures and presenting the scriptures, all had it had come about is receiving glory from those that they led. Jesus exposed their hearts in front of everybody. You search the scriptures because you think just doing that, you're gonna find eternal life. Eternal life standing right here. You can't even recognize it. You have nothing, and you don't even realize it. All you want is glory and glad-handing from all the people that you think give you the plaudits and the praise because you have some sort of understanding. You have nothing because you don't have me, because you haven't believed me. Today, we partook of communion together. You know, now we did that to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. It wasn't just because we saw other churches do it or because we put it on the schedule because it's something to do. There's reasons behind it. There's a real purpose behind it. And it's not just so that we can check off the box on things we did in church this month. The reason that we do it is to keep the truth of who he is and what he's done close to us. To remember him and to stay in communion with him. Look, when we keep our life in communion with him, it becomes so much easier for our reasons and our motives behind things to be seen for what they are, good or in need of correction. Why? Because his light shines on them. If you walk around with a flashlight in your hand and you're all in the dark, okay, you go out at nighttime and it's nothing but dark and you have a flashlight in your hand and you turn that light on, what are you going to be able to see? All the dark things that are, you know, all the things that are hidden in the dark around you are what that light is shining on. Of course, because the light literally penetrates the darkness. And so when we walk in communion, when we stay in communion with God, his light continues to shine on our lives, making it that much easier for the reasons and the motives or the things that we do to remain before him so we can course correct if we need to or stay on track if that's what we're doing. Look, the ultimate reason 
all right? I said we all have a God-given purpose and we all have a God-given reason for being here. The ultimate reason for our very existence is to be in loving fellowship with the Father. Everything is an outflow of that. The more we know his love, the more we should want to share it, the more we should want to be a part of things that bring people closer to him, so on and so on and so on. But however, at times we can find ourselves doing things within that context that over time they cease to really support and hold up the main thing. Many times this happens when we cease to bring those things before the Lord and let his light shine on them. Again, King David asked God to search him and try him. Why? to reveal if there was anything that needed to change. You know, often we find something that's working and we cease to bring it before God for his blessing and guidance. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Set it and forget it. It's working. Good, we'll just leave it over there. We'll kick it on autopilot. We cease to bring it before the Lord for his blessing and guidance and we can still be doing that thing long after it has ceased to be effective because our reason why for it has been, well, that's the way I've always done it. Like we said at the very beginning, God could have a more effective way for us to string that trimmer head, but if we are content with what we've always done, we'll always get the same results. So the things that we do, guys, the prayers that we pray, the worship that we offer, the relationships we maintain, the the things that we do, when we stay before him, do our reasons for them hold up or will some of them, like we've been saying, become invalid? The important thing in all of this is to stay in communion with him, to stay in fellowship with him. This is how we know what needs to change and what needs to remain. In our lives. Remember, he promised us in his word that the Holy Spirit would guide us in all truth. For those of you who may or may not know, today is Pentecost Sunday. And what the celebration of that is, is it's literally, man, it was ground zero for the church beginning. Okay? That's when Jesus told the believers, you know, after he was ascended back into heaven, he'd raised from the dead and he was ascending. He said, hey, I got some instructions for you. Take such and such and such and such. You guys head up to this upper room and you wait there and you don't go anywhere until you are filled with power from on high. Why? So that they could walk around thinking they were better than everybody? No. So that they could literally continue to point people who didn't have a chance to see Jesus over the past three years. So that they could literally point Jesus or point people to Jesus and the church literally begin to rock from that moment. That's what Pentecost Sunday is celebrating. But had Jesus not left, look, I get it. Can you imagine Jesus just telling the disciples, look, I, I know. I know this is difficult. Can you imagine that the guys that he has spent time with, eaten with, trained, corrected, loved on for three years. Guys that literally watched him be tortured and murdered. And then have the joy of watching him literally do everything he said he would do, raised from the dead, then go, I love you guys. Now I gotta go. But if I don't go, then this doesn't happen. Because when I leave, it's better. It's better. I know, guys. I know it. I know it seems kind of crazy right now. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, okay? But it's better that I leave because when I leave, I get to send my spirit who gets to be in everyone who will receive me, and he will guide you in all truth. 
So you know the difference between what is a lie and what is me. So you know when you need to change something and when you need to remain. The Spirit will guide you in all truth. Remain in me so that he can guide you. Remain in me. Commune with me. Let my Spirit guide you in all truth. And guys, because living for and showing people the way, the truth, and the life is the reasons why we are here. Amen? Come on, let's stand to our feet. Praise God for his word. Awesome. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the word being shared. Thank you that we can come together and hear your word. We thank you that your word is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, God. That is what your word says. It's able to pierce through the marrow, Lord, down to the bone. It's able to just cut through all of the confusion, cut through all of the red tape, cut through all of the haze, and get straight to the point of the matter. Lord, that's what your word does. And I thank you for what that has spoken to our lives today. I thank you, God. If there's anyone here in this room that is struggling, Lord, with wondering why they're here, what are the reasons I'm even here, I thank you, God, that you encourage us today, that each and every one of us has a reason, a God-given purpose, first and foremost, to be your child. What an incredible privilege. What an incredible honor. Lord, that you would count us, Lord, worthy to be yours, certainly not through anything we've done but because of your grace and because of your amazing, amazing love, the law of love, God, you came to set us free and to give us a purpose and to give us a reason. And so we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for it. Lord, help us to continue to stay in communion with you. Lord, as your, Lord, as your power is here, God, as we believe, Lord, when we called upon your name and asked you to come into our lives, we thank you, God, that, Lord, the spirit was there, Lord, and you're there within us, God, as your word says, Lord, guiding us and directing us if we're listening. Thank you so much that we remain, when we remain in communion, when we remain before you, that you shine a light, God, and you continue, Lord, to show us, God, the way to go, the way to step, Lord, if the reasons for what we're doing, God, if we've reached a place, Lord, where it's time for something to shift, or if it's reached a place where it's time to stay the course and keep pressing on, even though it might be tough, or if it's time to change something inside of us, Lord, when we stay before you, Lord, we can feel sometimes like it's so difficult, but it's not, God, it's not when we stay with you. God, help me to hear that first. Lord, I say that first to myself and then to everyone here. God, you want to direct us. You love us so much. It's not your desire that we walk in confusion. It's not your desire that we are confused about the reasons that we have or the things that we do. God, help us to remember you are as close as the mention of your name. Lord, the minute we call upon your name, Jesus, you are there. Thank you. Thank you, God for allowing us to be a part thousands of years later, to be a part of your church, to be a part, God, of your power being poured out, Lord, so that we can go and do the things, God, that you've called us to do. Not just because we want to do the things, but because we've experienced who you are, we love you, and God, that is what we want to share. I just want to say, God, I thank you again. As I've said, Lord, over and over again, I thank you for your word that you would choose to give it to us that you would choose to guide us, that you would choose to be with us, God. You are so loving. You are so amazing. And God, I pray we never take it for granted. 
Lord, again, if there is anyone struggling, Lord, with their purpose or their reasons in here as they're walking with you, God, I pray that you encourage them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Shine a light on those things, and Lord, that it would chase the darkness and all of those efforts of confusion and frustration out. In Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. Thank you for being our God and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.